Welcome to the Proud Rural Teacher Podcast, hosted by the School of Education at the University of Wisconsin-Platteville. The Proud Rural Teacher Podcast focuses on sharing inspiring stories of education in rural areas. With each episode, we'll provide context, resources, and contact information for you to take these great ideas back to your communities. I'm your host, Jessica Brogley. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the School of Education or the University of Wisconsin-Platteville. This episode is all about trout in the classroom. I knew that an occasional agriculture teacher here and there might have fish in the classroom, but I had no idea that teachers all across Wisconsin are raising trout for their local communities. And the Driftless region of Wisconsin happens to be a perfect classroom for such adventures. Today you're meeting three people. Kurt Meyer, a middle school science teacher at Fenimore Middle School, Ellen Meyer, a seventh grader in his classroom, and lastly, Scott Allen, the state council chair of Wisconsin Trout Unlimited. By the end of this episode, you'll know just about everything you need to get started with trout in your own classroom. All right, so thank you for the interview today. Tell me a little bit about who you are and the classes you teach here at Fenimore High School. Uh, my name is Kurt Meyer, and I teach um, middle school science, uh, sixth and seventh grade. Sixth grade uh, is life science, and seventh grade is earth science, and then I teach sixth and seventh grade math. And so I hear all these pumps running. Yes. <laughs> That's what brought me to this school. I had heard from maybe your superintendent that you do work with uh, Trout in the Classroom. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Tell me more about that. So Trout in the Classroom is a program that is um, run through Trout Unlimited which is a nonprofit um, organization for conservation for cold water species. Um, and the initial project I actually set up at North Crawford in 2016 or 2015. And um, I got a tank going there. And then um, when I took this job down here, I um, got another tank going. So both tanks were funded by um, Trout Unlimited chapters. And then the other fees that I have for like the things that you use up, I usually just budget for at school. The like consumables. Te- so right. The girl testing track things and, and things like that. Um, the bus mm-hmm. will be leaving at <clears throat> two o'clock. Thank you. <laughs> so the consumables are things that you might use every year? Like testing kits, um, hoses, mm-hmm. things that get grimed up, filters, um, filter medium, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So. I just buy new new of that every year and replace it. And so back in North Crawford, you got that started. How long have you been here? Uh, since 2017. Got it. Okay, yes. so you've got a couple years kind of under, under your belt with this project. Yes. And uh, so where's Trout in the Classroom? Or Trout, you didn't call it that. You called it Trout Unlimited. Well, Trout Unlimited is just the, um, the group that's conservation group, uh-huh. and they're affiliated with Trout in the Classroom. It's kind of um, to bring students and kids into the conservation movement, yeah. understanding how trout um, survive and are impacted by water quality and that sort of thing. Cool. And so because where we live and the amount of trout we have in the Driftless area, it's, I thought it was a really good area to, you know, use this with our students it, well it's teaching them some com- concepts in science but also actually how to impact their local community exactly it's great yeah. it's an authentic project right 
So what kinds of things are students learning about? So we spend a lot of time talking about um, how water quality impacts trout because they are uh, they're a pretty temperamental species and in fact i i struggle keeping a lot of mine alive when i get mm -hmm. i get 250 eggs to start with and i think i have like 20 fish left mm -hmm. right now at this mm -hmm. point in time so yeah. keeping them alive is is tough and especially in a closed system like we have mm -hmm. But we talk about water quality, farming practices, um, just how the driftless, why is the driftless good for trout in this area? We talk about all the underwater aquifers and springs that we have that keep the water cold. Trout need cold water. Um, impacts that they have on the economy mm -hmm. in our area. And the fact that most of these kids don't realize they have this unique fishery right under in their backyard yeah right all of the what i can i guess tributaries to the mississippi yes and right? to the wisconsin as yeah, well yeah. Mm -hmm. um pretty much everything that flows into the kickapoo river um the whole blue river watershed and then you have all the watersheds up in vernon and those areas so the kids also must learn about <coughs> some conservation practices that they see every day for example water runoff from farming land yeah right. um we do usually a um, watershed activity where we put marker on top of a piece of note card you use water-based marker and oh, then spray it with water mm -hmm. and spritz it and then you see like how the marker runs down hillsides and how it can end up you know pooling up in certain areas mm -hmm. um and so I've talked about, you know, certain farming practices where you, you don't want to spread manure on steep hillsides that drain into river systems. You especially don't want to do it on top of snow because then it's going to flow into the river systems. Um, and just how it needs to be a balance because it's a huge rural commu community mm -hmm. and they need to be stewards and understand the importance of the watersheds that we have around here. Mm -hmm. So I talked with our kids about that we talk about the topography um, how there's so many cave systems so much limestone and how there are all these aquifers under the water we take a field trip where we put the trout back into the stream in may uh, we put them into castle rock creek there's oh, a camp geez. campground um, not too far from here where dnr comes and does a shocking demo um, we do a bunch of macro invertebrate scavenger hunt where they get bugs off the rocks and I have little charts where they can circle which bugs they found um, and almost, they almost fill their charts up they find <laughs> just about every one of them on the chart and um, you know they're walking around in the water and they're bare feet or they're crocs and having a good time <laughs> and then they get to see the stream shocked and see you know some of the amazing trout that they can get out of their 18 17 inch trout that you wouldn't believe live in these waters. Yeah. And then after that, we actually go take them to um, an area where um, our Trout Unlimited chapter in this area, the uh, NOR chapter, does stream restoration. So they can see how they use heavy equipment to pull the banks back so there's not so much siltation in the river. And I talk a lot about that with the students in the classroom too, how steep banks and the channeling of water 
it does not allow the floodplains to expand, and so when you get a big rainstorm, it basically fills up a canyon, a canyon, and takes all the silt and sediment and dumps it back into the river, mm-hmm. and then that sh- makes the river shallower and wider and slower, and then they get warmer, and so you have to make sure that there's not. Um, once the water warms, you're going to lose your trout population. Right, not a, an environment conducive for that. Species. Exactly. So let's back up to August. How do they, I'm picturing how tri- trout might arrive to you. What well, does that look like? Well, I, um, I do brown trout since that's mostly what we have in our streams around here. Um, there are brown trout and brook trout that are native. Um, brook trout are harder to get, and if you want to put them back in the river, you have to have pre-tested eggs. They have to be tested for disease so that you're not introducing mm-hmm. a disease into the stream. So... Um, So I get brown trout eggs that get pre-tested. They come from the St. Croix hatchery up in St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And um, I usually set the tanks up. Brown trout spawn in the fall, usually mid-October to the end of November. And so they're using wild trout for these spawns um, that are been hatchery raised or taken out of the out of the wild stream and um they you know milk the Mm -hmm. milk the the males and um get the eggs from the females um so i usually set my tank up about the first week of october and then um I try to pre-cycle it, which means you try to get it to go through the whole nitrogen process mm-hmm. before the mm-hmm. fish get there, but I've never been successful actually getting it to go through that. So once the eggs come, they have to go in the water. Mm-hmm. So um, the eggs usually come about November 10th or so, and then they usually hatch within a week or so. They're eyed eggs by the time I get them, which means you can already see... Oh, wow. You can already see the little fish's eyes mm-hmm. in the eggs, and there's only about a week or so before they hatch once I receive them. <clears throat> and then they sit in a, a basket. So as they hatch, they're, they're alvin, and they basically have a yolk sack that they feed off of for about a month. Oh, wow. And they just sit in a little basket until right around Christmas time. And that seems to be also the time when I tend to lose almost all of my fish. Oh, no. is Christmas, right <laughs> yeah. around Christmas break, when they're in the basket before I transition them into the tank and let them go, I seem like within a day or two, I'll lose a whole bunch of fish. Mm-hmm. And I'm testing the water, and it never seems like it's been too far off. And then it, it's like very fast, very temperamental. So it's a tough species to it, raise. Yeah, it is yeah. a tough species to raise, exactly. <laughs> They're definitely not something that can be handled a lot. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they um, need exactly the right kind of water quality. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hoping to do in the future, at least change a few things up, is make sure I do more water changes during Christmas break and um, make sure I try to keep everything... Balanced, at the right balance. Right, sure. at the right mm-hmm. balance, and, and I'll get more survival. It's like once I get through that weak Little, problem where mm-hmm. I lose all these fish mm-hmm. and I, it, it balances itself out, then I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I haven't had to do anything with it since probably the first week of January, mm-hmm. and they've been fine. I've nice. lost maybe three mm-hmm. fish since then. 
And so every year, are you securing funding <clears throat> from Trout in the Classroom? So the eggs are free. Oh. Um, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And the the biggest cost is is the system is the chiller because you have to have something that keeps the water cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so each system is about a thousand dollars, and half of that is the chiller. Mm -hmm. And so that was that was actually the tank to my right is actually the tank I got uh, was the North Crawford tank, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so the teacher that I worked with there retired last year and offered all of the equipment back to me, which mm -hmm. is now why I have two tanks. Two, sure. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that one was paid for by TU. Uh, the the chiller is the black kind of refrigerator looking yeah. type of piece of equipment. Mm -hmm runs through, chills the water, it gets pumped out and then runs through that and gets chilled and put back in. I usually keep them about 51 degrees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's the most expensive part of it. Mm -hmm. um, tank was about $100 and everything else, you know, is just nickel and dimed, you know, $30 <laughs> for this, parts, $20 yeah. for sure, this, $15 right. for that. So so what do the kids get to do in this process? I mean, I, I understand the culminating kind of, it sounds um, like an awesome They do, they do some of the water testing for mm -hmm. me. They'll sure. test for ammonia. They'll test for nitrates and um, nitrites. Mm -hmm. um, I'll test the pH. That usually doesn't change too much. We have really hard water here because of all the limestone. Mm -hmm. So um, the pH is about 8.6, which is actually better for trout than having a lower pH. So having it on the basic side is better than on the acidic side. So I don't have to do much with that. It's, um, yeah, it's mostly just the water testing. But like mm -hmm. I said, once we get past that Christmas break time, mm -hmm. everything's pretty, pretty self-contained. Um, and the biggest thing is because it's a closed system, you're just recycling everything through it. Mm -hmm. um, you have to add certain chemicals to it to, to keep it balanced. So I have to add bacteria into the water to try to get um, like ammonia to get fixed and the nitrates to get fixed, mm -hmm. which naturally happens. Well, in a stream, obviously, the water that the fish are swimming in is only in front of them for a brief second, <laughs> yeah. and then it's passed. It's yeah. mm -hmm. so, um, so if there's a manure spill or something in a stream mm -hmm. and they have that whole infiltration of stuff that goes through, yeah, you're going to lose some fish, but fish will be able to survive that because it's it's going by, and as long as they are able to withstand that particular day or two of water damage, they can make it. Mm -hmm. um, plants are one of the big things in nature that fix the ammonia and the nitrate problem, and so I don't have any plants in there, mm -hmm. so I have to add the bacteria. Mm -hmm. But you have to have enough ammonia and nitrates for the bacteria to actually do its job. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a big balancing point. I'm hearing you unpack or mention all sorts of concepts in science. Yes. You must have so much material on each end of this classroom. Well, and I, I tie them in to so many things <laughs> yeah. we talk about. Uh -huh. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily we do a, a trout unit like right before Christmas where, where we talk about different trout and we talk about, you know, life cycle of trout and the driftless. And, and I kind of do a whole four day like mini lesson on just the tanks. But then throughout the year, 
when we're talking about cycles, nitrogen cycle and water cycle, it, I refer back to them all the time right. and different things that we're doing. Um, I talked about them today because we were talking about adding, you know, what do you have to add or what has to happen for nitrogen to get fixed? Because we were talking about soil today in my earth mm -hmm. science class. So I said, well, think about the trout tanks. You know, what, a, what happens when the trout are putting waste in the bottom? Because they were talking about dumping manure onto soil. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, the same thing happens in the tank. Mm -hmm. What does that turn into? And they're like, well, ammonia. I said, yeah, it's the same thing in the soil. And that helps plants grow. But we don't have any plants, so we can't get it fixed in the tank. So we have to add stuff to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Teaching material on both sides of you all the time. Exactly. Very yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so as you move forward into, I, I assume you're going to release what's left, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. In May? May, May? yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Usually mid, mid to end of May, it's like the last week or two of school, that we will go to Castle Rock and when we do, we take the whole day and they do the bugs and the macroinvertebrates, we release the fish, shocking, and then um, we go to another stream that's had has work done and one of the guys I work with, Don Plemer, he um, he does, I guess you would call the architecture of the stream restorations. Like he designs what they're going to do mm -hmm. to streams that are having work done on them. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm hoping and planning for him to join us and explain kind of that process when we go to look at one of the streams we're restoring right now. Most of them are over at the Blue River watershed. Um, near Highland, mm -hmm. so. They're learning so much about science, but also like the local environment. Right, Conservation, yes. mm -hmm. but also community connections. Sure. Um, does your Chamber of Commerce know you guys are doing this? Um, I'm not sure if the Chamber knows. I, I know the Chamber was interested in um, partnering up with our Trout Unlimited chapter because mm -hmm. it is such a big economy thing yeah. here, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, fly fishing community is right. not a real big community, but mm -hmm. anybody that fly fishes knows about this area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've fished all over the United States, and the few times I've been guided, they all have, at some point in time, come to the Driftless to fish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's definitely a very unique mm -hmm. place because of all the public access the ease of wading and fishing these streams because they're small mm -hmm. you know it's, you don't need a boat mm -hmm. um, there's thousands and thousands of miles of water you can fish from here up to lacrosse you know just all these tributaries and and there's maps and locations of what public access there is and there's tons of public access so um yeah it's it's amazing what we have around here. Yeah, I didn't grow up here, so when we moved down here, that <clears> was I didn't one either. Of the, yeah, one of the, <laughs> I grew up in the central part of Wisconsin where we had lots of lakes, and down here we don't you know, we don't have lakes as much right. other than Yellowstone or Blackhawk. But mm -hmm. I I remarked at the number of places we could go fishing along you know under a bridge, alongside a road. Right. And even on our own property, we have natural springs. Another thing I had never heard of, really, or experienced until living yeah. in Driftless. Yeah, there's um, there's amazing little places you can go where springs just dump out of <laughs> rocks. Or, yeah. Um, that's the first place I actually take our group on the field trip. There's a spring that goes into Castle Rock Creek. It comes right out from under the highway. 
<laughs> and um, you wouldn't even know it's there. There's actually a YouTube video of some divers that went up into the spring with their tanks in front of them because it was too skinny for them to actually have Ooh. tanks on their backs. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It didn't look... <laughs> no. If, if you're claustrophobic, it's it definitely did not look like something that I would want to do. No way. Yeah. So the kids get such a rich connection or understanding to, like, our, our connection to water matters mm -hmm. down here. Right. Absolutely. And it's unique. And the importance of, you know, trying to keep it clean and what you can do to make it stay that way mm -hmm. so and these little fish are helping it get done right, <coughs> right. little teachers too exactly <laughs> very cool um so then the summer i, I assume you shut the tanks down over the summer yeah okay so as soon as as soon as we have our field trip and that's all done and the fish are gone i'll drain the tanks um take all the medium out whatever i can salvage for next year i'll rinse it out, clean them out to the best of my ability. Um, I'll either try to clean the tubes out or I'll just get a new tube for, you know, like the pumps and the mm -hmm. chiller mm -hmm. um, and the air hoses. And because there's so much calcium and calcium yeah. buildup, a lot of it gets gunky, gunky and stuff on it. it. Right. Um, new filter medium. Um, but all like the sponge type of stuff, I can usually clean out pretty good. Um, and then the, the gravel, I'll clean that all out and get as much gunk off of there mm -hmm. as I can. And then just put it back in the tank and just set as it back in there and leave it until next October. October. And then I fill it again and get them running. So <laughs> so if a, if a teacher wanted to get started with this, but they didn't know a lot about raising trout to begin with, how, how do they figure this out? Um, I think their local Trout Unlimited chapter would probably be the best place to start. There are a few people that have done this. Um, I think it's Kirk Olson was the first person that I contacted. And he's up north towards, um, I want to say, like Bangor or like mm -hmm. that area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a few tanks up there. I believe that more and more tanks have have started to be, uh, have have become like prevalent in the state there was only maybe 10 or so when i started mm -hmm. but we we had an email this year that there's more and more eggs that the dnr's having to give out oh, so wow. i do think that it's becoming more and more popular mm -hmm. in the classroom how big are these tanks there are 50 gallon tanks okay yeah i was picturing much a much much bigger system oh really like this is manageable to me yeah uh, in a in a yeah. classroom because they don't you know the trout only get maybe two inches long by the time they're ready to be put sure. back into the river systems which is about the size that they are in nature yeah. at that uh -huh. point in time because they hatch you know they'll hatch in january or so in November or December or January and so by the time you get to May they're they're about you know two inches three inches long cool. yeah um, and so if I were to look something up online would I go to trout unlimited and trout the classroom there is or? a there is a separate trout in the classroom website uh -huh. so okay. you can go into that and it has there's videos and there are lesson plans mm -hmm. and there's um, stuff for kids um, I used YouTube a lot for the, when I was first learning how to set up the systems. Mm -hmm. there, 
there were um, YouTube videos on how to. Now, not all the systems are the same. Right. Like mm -hmm. people have different chiller systems, and um, it's really big on the East Coast. That's where I seem to find most of the information is coming from Maryland and, huh. and that area. Um, and they do mostly rainbow trout or salmon. Um, some do salmon in the classroom. So they have different systems, but um, basically the process is about the same. Yeah, you just need to run water through something that's going to make it cold. <laughs> Next, let's meet Ellen, a seventh grader at Fenimore Middle School, for her perspective. You are a student in Mr. Meyer's class. Yes. What's your name and what grade are you in? Um, my name is Ellen Meyer and I'm in seventh grade. And so you're studying all sorts of things in science class. Yes. Um, talk to me ab about what it's been like to have baby trout in the classroom. When they first arrived, everybody was like very like wondering like, what is that? What are they going to turn into? <laughs> and it's just been kind of cool to see them grow and um, we won't release them for about another month-ish, but once we do, then we'll get to let them go and see how many of them make it. And what are some of the things that you've been learning or discussing with so the trout? So we went a while ago, like right before Christmas, we did some trout anatomy stuff and like learned about the dorsal fins and all sorts of stuff, mm -hmm. um, like how they with their water temperature, what kind of, just what they eat and what they need to survive. Nice. Life cycle. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so then eventually you're going to turn them loose, right? Yeah. So how do you think this project has impacted kind of your thinking about the environment and like locally? Um, I go with him to the, like some of their Trout Unlimited like gatherings and it's interesting to see um, and hear about all of the like how important it is to keep the rivers or in streams clean to make sure that they have a good like ability of life yeah right to live <laughs> yeah and so you're learning here in school how to actually be like advocates right yeah yeah like to do something good for your world yeah. your community Mm -hmm. Very cool. So Kurt and Ellen gave you solid perspectives on what is Trout in the Classroom. That program, though, is part of a bigger organization, Trout Unlimited. Let's chat with Scott Allen, the State Council Chair for Wisconsin Trout Unlimited. Thanks, Scott, for taking some time to meet with me today. Uh, I had interviewed Kurt Meyer uh, from Fenimore School District a while back, and he mm -hmm. Uh, shared with me his experience raising trout in the classroom, but he referenced Trout Unlimited a couple times, and uh, I didn't quite understand the connection. I thought it would be a great opportunity to uh, interview you to kind of bridge that that gap of knowledge. Uh, so can you help me out? Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about who are you, and then what is Trout Unlimited? My name is Scott Allen. I'm the state council chair of Wisconsin Trout Unlimited. We have 6,500 members in Wisconsin. Um, we're mostly volunteers. I'm a volunteer. We do have a professional staff in Wisconsin um, of about six employees that are around the state. They primarily spend their time, they're assigned habitat projects uh, with trout streams. So right now they're out in the field with hard hats on doing work like that. 
And it's our job to kind of organize those events and raise the money for it. Um, uh, that that's how we relate with the professional staff, but we do a lot more than just uh, fundraising. Um, Trout Unlimited is a cold water conservation organization uh, that is devoted to primarily protecting our groundwaters because that's what trout streams rely upon. We're concerned about all water quality, but we can't do it all. So our niche is cold water. Um, we're also a community services organization. Um, we have quite a few community service organizations. Uh, Trout in the Classroom is one of them. Um, we have veterans programs that helps disabled veterans. We have cancer survivor programs for both women and men who are recovering from cancer. Um, we of course have youth programs, Trout in the Classroom, we have a summer youth camp, which is approaching. Uh, kids can attend fishing camp in Wapaka, free of charge. Um, and we have diversity programs um, to reach out to women. You know, frankly, fishing is kind of a men's domain and we wanna get rid of that. Um, so we reach out to women and minorities uh, by providing them with instruction and opportunities to get outdoors. So we do a lot. Uh, we're all spread pretty thin. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it, and Trout Unlimited is across the state of Wisconsin, isn't it? Correct. Well, it's nationwide. Um, we're a nationwide organization. We've got about 200,000 members nationwide. Yeah. Which, interestingly, that's that sounds like a big number, but we're one of the smaller conservation groups. Um, um, nothing wrong with that, but, uh, we're, so we're not a great big organization. We're a very grassroots organization that gotcha. relies heavily on volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Driftless region, uh, is you know, packed with all sorts of opportunities for trout fishing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, I have always known that, uh, however, I didn't really, uh, I didn't realize that there were opportunities to, um, help support the waterways, say, in the classroom. And that's where mm -hmm. Trout in the Classroom comes in. Uh, and I remember seeing grant opportunities and just information floating on social media about Trout in the Classroom. And that's why I went to meet Kurt. Why begin a Trout in the Classroom project? Well, it's a... Uh... I, I, you know, I'm no authority on education, but it falls under the STEM model of curriculum. Um, and it's a great science uh, opportunity for teaching kids. Uh, I guess I'd put it under the umbrella of natural history, um, getting them outdoors and beginning to understand that science isn't necessarily focusing on a single organism, that there are communities of organisms that are interdependent. And we're not just concerned about a species of fish. We're concerned about the community that that fish lives in and relies upon. Um, and it's a good opportunity for kids to actually get outdoors, see it firsthand. And it's a, they can see it from, uh, I hate to use the phrase, cradle to grave, meaning <laughs> they literally see the fish born 
and they see the they don't see the grape, but they see the fish released, and they get to experience a major portion of the life cycle of an aquatic organism. And uh, yeah, so it's it's experiential. It's and, and those types of education, as we all know, they really stick with you. Uh, the experiential types, yeah. And I would think it helps kids understand their connection to the driftless in this corner of the state anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And the importance of clean water. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so if a teacher wants to get started raising trout or learning about conservation, um, habitats, etc., how do they find funding for that? I would imagine that there's a financial barrier to some degree. Is there a way to remove that or help alleviate that for a teacher who might want to get started? Well, um, I've been active. I, I started the classroom, two classrooms here in Reedsburg uh, in 2015. And it, it was about $2,000 to set up the aquariums in, uh, in the classroom, $1,000 each. Um, Alliant Energy has been very generous with community grants for this type of program. I've worked with other teachers, just helping them get the funding and get things up and going. I didn't really have a hand in their classroom, but they were all given grants from Alliant. So that's, you know, we have a perfect batting average with Alliant, at least up here. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really the only grant uh, provider that I've worked with. Um, but in the four instances where we've applied to Alliant, they gave us the full amount we requested, um, which was $2,000. And uh, I'm sure there are many other grant opportunities available for youth education out there. Um, uh, I don't think it would require too much research on the internet to find those opportunities. Um, but I just haven't had the need because of Alliance generosity. I just haven't had the need to do it, um, fortunately. <laughs> yeah. uh, so basically, uh, teachers should be looking in their own community for grants. And I would think mm -hmm. that I could see uh, community foundations, chamber of commerce, mm -hmm. et cetera, because we're, you know, obviously we're doing work that benefits the community um, and just might bring more people to the area. Mm -hmm. um, tourist-wise, or just connections to the community. <clears throat> so one of the apprehensions I, I think teachers would, some teachers might feel, is that they don't necessarily know what they're doing. <laughs> if they weren't, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a science teacher, for example, or it's mm -hmm. not their strength in that area, uh, where can they learn more about trout in the classroom uh, and how to su be successful? I've heard that they're it's hard, it's hard to raise them. So how do they learn about how to do that? Um, Trout Unlimited has a dedicated website, troutintheclassroom.org. I did, by the way, send you a link to that just a few minutes ago, but uh, as well as the Alliant uh, grant opportunities. So that's, it's in your inbox. Thank you. Um, uh, troutintheclassroom.org will walk you through it from start to finish, what to expect. Um, I haven't looked at it closely lately, but when I was first starting off, they had uh, 
a community forum where people could share their experiences and the problems and how to address the problems because these aquariums with uh, trout in them, the, the trout are very sensitive to the water chemistry. Uh, so how to keep them healthy, how to keep things going well. Um, but although I'm a fisherman and my background is in environmental chemistry, um, I was totally new to this and in the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and uh, the information on the website was very helpful. And uh, uh, that same website, troutintheclassroom.org, has a curriculum on there. A lot of the teachers can follow, either in part or in whole, um, which I think is pretty important to, to at least read through it. You don't need to be a biologist. There's... Uh, uh, well, in fact, we work in concert with our local DNR fisheries biologist, and uh, they're the pros, and they're more than happy to uh, take over and provide your class with visits. And that's who we go out into the field with, is with the DNR biologist. And uh, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So much fun that uh, we almost have as many parents coming as the kids. A lot of dads, a lot of dads come out. Uh, boy, they hear about that, that we're going to a trout stream and the DNR biologists are gonna do a, a survey of the stream. Uh, they, they're netting fish and measuring the fish and showing the kids also what they do for an occupation, that this is maybe a career choice for some people. Uh, of course, a lot of, not just boys anymore, boys and girls are, really riveted by that uh and uh um so uh back to your question about where does a teacher start um i wouldn't worry too much about it there's <laughs> there's a lot of information there there's a lot of teachers doing it in wisconsin right now i don't have an exact count um i would say there's probably close to 200 classrooms in wisconsin now wow. um up here in our county, um, uh, we've got about eight to 10 classrooms in Sauk County. Yeah. That's a lot more than I thought uh, in the state yeah. of Wisconsin. That's great. In fact, it took off so quickly. We have to work closely with DNR on this because the fish are coming from the fish hatcheries. There's a whole licensing procedure that's required. Um, and they were suddenly like over a two to three year period. Um, uh, I wouldn't say overwhelmed. Well, maybe their staff was overwhelmed with all these requests from uh, classrooms. And DNR is very enthusiastic about this program. It's, uh, it puts their Bureau of Fisheries in a whole new spotlight. Um, that is youth education, which is something they never thought they'd be in, <laughs> but in a good way. Uh, yeah. They're happy to be there, and they're very helpful. Great. I did mention uh, licensing. Um, what's interesting about this, that, again, I didn't know anything about this. Was we had to become a licensed fish farm to raise these trout in our aquarium, which you must be. Part of the whole procedure is we take these fish once they reach a certain age. It's usually around May. We take them out to a trout stream and the kids get to let them go, you know, um, which is fun. 
but you have to be licensed to do that. Um, it ensures the fish are basically are disease free. It ensures they are not invasive species, and that's a, it's a very critical and important uh, licensing process. Uh, that kind of threw us for a loop the first two years. Uh, but now they have uh, people in DNR who are familiar with the program and have really streamlined the process. Um, and uh, yeah. So you're saying the school has to be licensed to yes. raise? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Very it's cool. not a big deal anymore. It was at first. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah, just to raise 20 little rainbow trout. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Um, is there anything else that you would want to share? Oh, gosh. About trout in the classroom? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, cannot, I, I think the one thing I would share is um, some of the classrooms I worked with, it really didn't amount to more than uh, the kids got a chance to see the fish being raised, and then it was a field trip. And we have a whole curriculum available. It doesn't mean a teacher has the time or the resources or that it even fits their school's curriculum. But we do have uh, very good material that can be uh, applied to the setting of a trout aquarium in your classroom. You know? And some of them uh, didn't do that. They, they don't have to. Um, but I think if you pay close attention to the curriculum. I think the kids will get a lot more out of it. Yeah. So the resources are there. Teachers need to dive into it. Yeah. Uh, it's a, sounds like a, a, quite an interdisciplinary experience for, for a kid, for a class, right. for a teacher. Awesome. And Trout Unlimited's role is really to, if a teacher is interested in this, to work with them to get things up and going. Uh, to kind of play the role of a liaison between DNR and because we're we're very we know the DNR people very well, and once things get moving along after one or two years, um, we're always there to help. We're primarily there for funding if they need more money for supplies. But by the second year, the teacher probably doesn't need our assistance anymore, uh, which is good. Um, um, so that's. That's our role. To learn more about Trout in the Classroom, be sure to check our show notes. Though you'll find relevant links to Trout in the Classroom, Trout Unlimited, and funding sources to get started with Trout in your classroom. The Proud Rural Teacher Podcast is hosted by the School of Education at the University of Wisconsin-Platteville. The theme music was created by agriculture and technology education major Calvin Coldren. Be sure to subscribe to the PRT Podcast and visit us online at proudruralteacherpodcast.com. And if you have an episode suggestion or feedback, please leave us a speak pipe message on our website. Thanks for listening.